So uh, listen to this for a minute, if you would. When I was 11 years old, our family moved to another state in the middle of the school year. While I was excited about going to a bigger city, I was scared to death. I was devastated about leaving my friends, my school, and my community. So a complex set of emotions poured through me. That, in and of itself, wasn't a problem. The problem was the way my family dealt, or more accurately, often didn't deal with difficult emotions. It was okay in our house to talk about the positive stuff, but we shied away from the darker things. So, when I was conflicted and confused and scared about our move and really needed somebody to talk to, I had nowhere to turn. I was left alone with my feelings, which of course made it even more intense. On top of that, I even felt some degree of shame for having these feelings in the first place. Because my own parents regarded emotions as something that scared them, I was predisposed to do the same when I became a parent. My parents themselves weren't raised in families that discussed their feelings. So this mode of relationship really goes back generations. It runs in the family. No one learned how to talk about and be with their feelings in ways that encourage intimacy and honesty and connection. So at a certain point, my husband and I realized this and made a conscious effort to break this pattern. Here's another one. I grew up in, in a home with two parents who really didn't want to be married to each other. That was obvious. They both felt stuck and frustrated, and they dealt with it by drinking too much, and screaming at each other almost every day. They, they subscribed to the idea that sticking together for the kids would somehow be better for my sister and me. But we both believe, without question, our childhoods would have been much happier if they'd split up sooner. They would have the same fights again and again and again. Sometimes they got physical, but mostly the damage was emotional. Here were two adults who both came from abusive environments themselves, and they had no idea how to truly love someone, even themselves. They each tried, but they could never fully break free. Thankfully, my sister and I have been able to break the cycle of abuse within our families, but we had to take the long way to get there. As teenagers, we were drawn to men who were abusive, just like our father because we had a very broken understanding of what love was. We had no clue. Those lessons are like scars. They never fully heal and they're always around to remind you what love isn't. So how do you begin to heal wounds caused by the people who are supposed to love you the most? How can you begin to break away from the cycle of dysfunction? So, you know, sad stories, right? Different stories. Both of them, I just read the beginning of each of them. They were both articles. And in both of the articles, it's interesting, uh, they talked about a couple of very 
similar, they came to these conclusions. One was this, the need to break what they call these cycles. Like when you're living in a situation that's crazy, it's not okay, that's not healthy. Somewhere along the line, that's gotta be stopped. Now when you're a little kid, you know, they can't do that. But at some point, those cycles gotta be broken or they continue, kind of obvious. The second point they made, again, sort of independent of each other, was this. They talked about, because they lived up, they lived in these less than perfect family situations. Their instincts were not good, at least in certain areas, because of what they lived with. Stuff that was not normal was sort of perceived as normal. So they just were not good at certain things. They didn't know it when they were little, but at a certain point, when they were able to kind of step back and look at it, they saw it. You know, because nobody talked in this family about how they felt, about their feelings, about their emotions, about loneliness or sadness or fear. Her instinct was to just do nothing, say nothing, kind of just Make believe it's not there when it was there. Not a good instinct. But that's all she knew. Or, in the other case, this one was even more serious, the one with the, the parents and the terrible marriage. She talked about relationships with guys and how she, she went, dated guys just like her crazy father. Her instinct on like, when, you know, her notion of a loving relationship was completely sideways. It made no sense. So she didn't have good instinct when it came to relationship matters. I mean, that all makes sense, right? Hey, they also get, you also get a healthy version of this too. If you grow up in a healthy place, so you're gonna have good instinct. If I grow up in a place in a family where I've got a, a lot of love and it's expressed, and people are nurturing and supportive, I'm probably gonna have a pretty good sense of how to deal with people because I witnessed healthy stuff. If I grew up in a house where faith was expressed, where we prayed, where I saw people who had a, a relationship with God, people who valued it, I'm probably gonna be pretty good with God. God the notion of God isn't gonna be something foreign, something I don't get, because I got a good experience of it. It's like we're as good as our teachers, right? Or as, or as bad as our teachers. If our teachers were kind of a train wreck, or at least limited in kind of a significant way, then what do we do? I think we need to find better teachers. You find new teachers. The ones who weren't able to teach us what was right and true and healthy, all right, whatever, they couldn't, they didn't. I can't accept that. I gotta go find that in a healthy way. You know, in the clinical world, they call it family of origin. Like we are, we are products of where we come from. I mean, this is like not really rocket science, right? It kind of makes sense. Our instincts are not good instincts. 
Last, uh, I think March, I went to Florida for a couple of days. My brother, my sister-in-law have a house in Key West. And I was at the airport. And uh, Kennedy, Kennedy Airport. And I uh, was checking in and it was great. I went to one of those kiosks, which are really, really great. Like they're, you just, they're fast, convenient. I wasn't checking any bags. I just brought a carry-on so I didn't have to deal with that. So all was good, making great time. And then I got to the uh, security section. It was insane. It was, it was crazy. The line was enormous. It was like snaking everywhere. It just went all, I couldn't believe how long and involved this line was. It was taking forever. I remember thinking at a certain point, like, all right, this is getting a little scary now. I'm, I, I, I may miss this plane. I waited for just under an hour to get to the security point. And I'm there, and I'm taking off my shoes, and I'm taking off my belt. And four more lines opened up, security lines, or like the, you know, the place, the things you walk into where they scan you, the scanners. Four more opened up. So the line behind me disappeared. Like I waited an hour, and the people at the end of this line, I mean, they waited like a minute. <laughs> it was that, guys were like going, you go here, you go here, you go here. It was like, oh my God, like it just, the line disappeared. I remember when I was like putting my shoes back on and getting my stuff together. I'm looking, looking over at these people who just breezed through. I was like annoyed at them. The fact that they got like this free pass and I had to wait, it just irritated me. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just telling you, that's, that was sort of how I felt. It just seemed kind of unfair. I showed up on time. These people were probably kind of late and they weren't affected at all. They ended up at the same spot as me at the same time. That's how I feel when I hear this parable that I just read. It just doesn't seem fair, right? A group of people, these, this group of people, they work 10 hours and they get paid whatever. This guy comes up and he only works one hour and he gets paid the same as the guy who worked 10. That's crazy, that's not fair. Man, if you owned a business and that's the way you operated, you'd be out of business. You'd have people just showing up for work the last hour of the night and getting the full day pay. I think everybody finds this gospel kind of crazy. And we all know about how Jesus talks about the Father. Mercy, it's like all about mercy. We hear about it all the time. He's always giving mercy examples. Last week, Peter to Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? You forgive forever. You always have to forgive people people, Peter. Think of the parables, the prodigal son, the guy who takes all his money, lives like a slob, and then he comes home just looking for a place to sleep, but the father throws him a party. because he's back. He got his son back home. He's forgiven him. The lost sheep. Sheep gets lost. Shepherd goes looking for it. The woman who loses a coin, and she tears the house apart trying to find a stupid nickel. 
Why are you going crazy for the nickel? Because it's not a nickel. The nickel represents us. And Jesus was saying, God sees us as that valuable. He'll tear the house apart in the name of getting us back. So we kind of know that. We know like, yeah, God is this really forgiving God. But this, pa- this parable, it just seems like too much. It just doesn't seem fair. And I think most of us kind of ignore it. We don't have a good instinct sometimes for the way God operates. Actually, we hear that in this first reading, Isaiah. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. In other words, we don't think like God a lot of the time. Sometimes we do. When we're really at our best, when we're really on our game, I think we are thinking and acting like God. When, you are, when we act in a very loving, merciful, courageous, generous way, we're kind of getting close to the way God is. I mean, we're never going to completely match him, but we're getting close. But then we have moments where I think, well, we just kind of go, I'm I, just not really getting this. God is just different than us. But the goal is to become more like God. God deals with us, I think, in ways that are just different than the way we deal with each other. It's with this generosity that like, we kind of almost can't wrap our brains around. We can't get it. We don't really even want to get it. We don't have a great instinct for the, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's original sin. We don't do it right. Hey, that's why we have a church. That's why we have a Messiah. Because we just don't always do it right. Hey, that's why tonight, religious said, that's why, we, that's why we, we have faith formation. That's why we have sacraments. These are all attempts at us getting better with God. Because our instinct isn't always good. It was like that woman with dealing with emotions because of the family she grew up in. She wasn't so good at it. The other one wasn't great with relationships because of the family she was raised in. Her instincts weren't great. Neither are ours at times. I think it maybe it comes down to this. It's like there's the God we want and the God that we've got. The God we want sometimes is not the same as the God that we want. And I think the challenge for us is to be humble about that. Surrender our agenda to his so we become more like him and less resistant of him and gospels like this one so that we become more generous. Is this parable saying if you own a business, you got to do what the guy in the, the parable said? No, it's not a parable about how you pay people. It's about a generous God, like a crazy, generous, forgiving God. And the challenge is for us to try to be more like that. Why am I sitting in this airport getting aggravated by these people? They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't cut the line. They just lucked out. Man, I should have been like, man, good for them. They didn't have to deal with what I just had to deal with. Good for you. That's not where I was. So what do you do when you're not good with God? I think we've got to try and change it. 
When our instinct isn't that great, I gotta work on my bad instinct. You know, those two examples I gave, the woman who grew up in the, with the parents who were fighting with each other, terrible marriage, she described her best friend when she was in grade school, middle school, and high school. And the family that her best friend, her, best, her friend's family, and she loved them. It was this loving couple, this great family, this great marriage. She said they were like a, a magnet. She wanted to be there all the time. Because when she was there, she got what didn't exist in her own house. So she pursued it like this, this family, they almost became like a, like a mentor. This is the way to be. This is what family life should look like, not the disaster that you were raised in. And the other, the other one, the one who, you know, the family didn't, they weren't good with feelings and emotions. She talked about being in high school, you know, at a later date she's in high school. And a classmate of hers died suddenly. Somebody that she knew, wasn't very good friends with, but knew. And she was very rocked by that. And she needed to talk, but she didn't really know how to talk because her parents never talked about certain kinds of emotions. And she described this soccer coach that she had who could tell one day that she was just not herself. And then she opened up and she never looked back. They stopped talking soccer and they just started talking about their heart and her feelings and her sadness and her struggle to express it. This coach became a mentor. Well, hey, at the end of the day, Jesus should be our mentor. He's our coach. He's that family. He's a teacher. He's the one who's just got it right. His ways are right. The more I can align myself with him, the better I'm going to be. If we pursue him, if we spend time with him, if we let him mentor us, we begin to think like him. And we break bad cycles. And we correct wrong instinct. Because we begin to think like him. And that's the prize.